All right, so I am, I am starting with an announcement that you are all going to want to stone me for in just a moment. Um, what, what is this announcement? Uh, this is my announcement. Uh, the state has asked everybody meeting indoors to have people mask up for the month from Jan December 15th to January 15th. And we are going to ask you guys to do that. Uh, the, you know, every, everybody looks at whatever their news sources are that agree with them, masks work, masks don't work, whatever. They're not singling out churches, they're not singling, they're just asking people to do this. And so we want to be able to be those who respect them enough to be able to say, yeah. There's this old adage, I've ever heard it, where you say, uh, Jesus first, others second, ourselves last. And we tend in America to be myself first, myself second, and I'll put Jesus in there maybe somewhere, and others, yeah, they're a bunch of weirdos, I don't care. We need to be a people who love Jesus first, others second, ourself last. And in so doing, we are going to, for this month, ask you guys to mask up inside. Now, we said this in the email update this week, and as soon as we did, we instantly got a couple responses of, are you going to enforce this? Are you going to police this? I keep telling you, no, you are adults, okay? My job is not to give you a bunch of legalism. My job is to teach you to love Jesus as best that you can. Now, other people have said, well, if I come in, it's like a restaurant. I walk in with a mask on, I sit down, I can take it off. You do you, okay? You do you. Uh, but our job is not to police you. What we want to do is just be able to kind of follow this thing for the month and see what happens at the end. And guys, again, we, we just want to be those who respect things that our government does. And I know the California government is hard to trust at this point in time. There's a lot of stuff coming down the pike. But we just want to be those who can honor that in a way, in any way that doesn't dishonor Christ in the midst of it. And so for the month, we're just going to ask you guys to do that. Uh, run out the doors as soon as it's over and take them back off and get a breath of fresh air and, and you'll be okay. We just... Anyway, so there's that. Uh, the second thing I want to tell you about is Christmas Eve service. I know you're all asking a lot of questions. Outdoor service, people can come and not wear masks. It'll be great, so wonderful. And now California gets rain. Who knew? <laughs> Certainly not us when we planned this thing. The, the way the weather report looks right now is that we will get rain Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and not Friday. Now, if we do get rain on Friday, we will still have a Christmas Eve service. We will just move it indoors. Because indoors is much smaller than outside, we'll probably easily fill the capacity of this room. So if we do move it indoors, it's going to be first come, first serve. We are also then, if it is indoors, not outdoors, if it's indoors, we will also live stream it. So if you come by and the room is full, Crave Donuts is still going to be here. You can get your hot chalk and your donuts and go home, and you can start the live stream. But I won't get home when it starts. Technology is amazing. All you got to do is like open the YouTube, grab the slider bar, and slide it to the beginning, and it'll start at the beginning. I know. You're all, what? Boom! Mind blown. So you can still watch the live stream from the beginning. I mean, our, our hope is that it doesn't rain on Friday. We get to do this outside and have a large gathering with all of us together. But if it does, if it does, we do have a contingency plan. We still want to do Christmas Eve, and we will still find a way to get you your mini donuts as, as well. It's like, I think it's always funny in the scriptures that it says man plans and God laughs. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And, and we're going to be okay. But anyway, uh, you show up around 6 o'clock. Uh, either way, you can get your uh, hot chocolate and stuff. We're going to start the service at 6.30, whether inside or outside. Still going to do it. Sound good? Oh, and on Friday morning, if you are on the email update, Friday morning I will tell you exactly what we're doing based on the weather report. So we'll send out a second email update Friday morning if you're not signed up for it. That's just not our way to get more people to sign up for it. That's just, 
what's going to happen. Hey, welcome to Element, if you are new. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. And on the inside, on the left, what you're going to get is a paragraph that reflects on what we talk about today. You're going to get five days in this. You're going to get five days of a question and then a prayer to go along with that to help reflect on what we talk about today. On the right-hand side, you're going to get questions to ask your friends, your family, your gospel community. On the back, you're going to get the psalm we're walking through today. And on the bottom, you're going to get all the verses that we're walking through today as well. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, all that goes with today's message, not rocks to throw at me. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Uh, this is Psalm 134, verse 3, and it says, May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for being a gracious God, that you lead us and guide us in these steps of discipleship, and that we would be those who in turn have hope ultimately in what you promise to do, that we trust you and live out our lives that reflect the goodness of who you are because you are our great Savior. Amen. Have a seat. Okay, so this is our last week rounding out this series on the Songs of Ascent. That means this is week 15. For 14 weeks, we have been walking through these different psalms, Psalm 120 to today, Psalm 134, in an effort to understand what discipleship actually looks like. These songs were prayed and sung by travelers going to Jerusalem for one of the major feast days that we would call holidays. And as they did, they would recite these things to remind themselves of the goodness and the grace of God. And for us, again, we're walking through each one of these as a way of what it looks like to walk in discipleship with God. And I told you before, I took the impetus for these messages out of a book written a few decades ago called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by a guy named Eugene Peterson. But I like that title, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That means it's not just an hour, a week, a month, a year, it's our entire lives, a long obedience in the same direction, following and walking with God. Now, if a Bible open to Psalm 134, that is on page 334 if you have an element Bible. Now, last week, uh, Steve just did an excellent job. Uh, I was, if you don't know this, I, I love Barry Manilow. I, we were, when, since I was a little kid, there's a song that he sang that reminded me of certain relationships that I have in my life. And I was like, oh, and so I've always loved Barry Manilow. Never seen him. I thought he was dead, uh, but he's not. He's not. <laughs> and, and so somebody bought me and my wife and a couple of friends tickets for our birthday to go see Barry Manilow in Palm Springs. Who knew it would be in Palm Springs, right? So we go, we go down to Palm Springs. And so Sunday morning, I get up and I'm watching. I'm just like, I'm just, I just... I know it's about humbleness, but he just did such a great job. I actually texted him between services, and I said, that was great. Don't read this till after second service. Stay humble. <laughs> but he re I really did just, just a great job. And, and he didn't even talk about all these different steps, and I was going to give you the whole quiz today, and I thought, I like what Steve did. So I'm not going to give you the quiz, but I will give you the little background of each of these steps of discipleship and what they look like. So we said discipleship begins in repentance. Repentance is where we return to who God calls us to be. We surrender our lives to Him. And we do that secondly because we trust Him. We trust His truth over the lies we tell ourselves, over the lies that our culture has told us. We trust His provision for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And out of repentance and trust comes worship. 
We worship God. We ascribe the worth that is due His name. This is one of the reasons why we gather. This is one of the reasons why we live the way that we live. And then worship moves into service because we start to serve because our God first served us in saving us. And as we serve, that becomes our witness in the world. And people around us see who God is by how we serve because of how we're worshiping Him, because of how we trust Him, because of how we've gone to repentance and come back to who He calls us to be. Then out of that witness, sometimes things get very difficult in our lives. So then what do we do? We live steadfast in the midst of that. And steadfast doesn't mean that we never have questions, we never have worry, we never have anxiety, we never have doubts. Steadfast means that we trust God in the midst of our anxiety and worries and our doubts. And as we do, we see that God is always faithful. And that leads then to joy. It leads to joy in our lives. It comes as a result of our relationship with God. And then out of that joy, we begin to do our work in the world as we interact with those around us. And out of that work then comes blessing, where we bless others because God has first blessed us in saving us and giving us the ability to work. So we then bless one another. That is like nine steps of this journey. And if we walk through those, we get to step number 10, which is about perseverance that we begin to persevere because we realize how good God has been to every single one of us. Realize that God is for us. And that develops then this next step, which is prayer. And it's not that we haven't prayed all the time along this journey, but by the time we get here and understand all that God does, we realize we don't have to hide ourselves from Him. We don't have to run and put up walls and say, oh no, God, don't really look at my heart. We lay our heart bare before Him in utter honesty. And then that leads to step 12, which you guys got at week 14, but that's humbleness, which is what you talked about last week. The idea we are just before God, lay everything bare so we can be a a truly humble people. And humbleness will then lead directly to the place of obedience. There are a lot of churches who will tell you that obedience leads to salvation. It does not. Obedience comes out of salvation. It comes out of what God has done in our lives. We want to live and walk with Him in these steps of discipleship. And while it's not always easy, that obedience then leads us to live with and in the community that God has placed us within a community of people because we cannot walk this long obedience in the same direction alone because we weren't meant to. And so God steers us into community. Now today, we are going to talk about hope. The last chapter in Peterson's book, he actually titles Blessing. And I talked about that in week nine, and there's a reason for that. I think hope goes to where all of this goes. So this is Psalm 134, and I'm going to read it to you. It's just a couple verses, and this is what it says. Come bless God, all you servants of God. In the ESV, it will say, come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. It will say, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. See, you can see why he, Peterson talks about blessing in the midst of that. But I really didn't think that goes to hope. Peterson will say that, that this whole idea of walking with God and discipleship begins in repentance and ends in blessing. I think blessing comes along the entire way. I think it starts in repentance and ends in hope because there's nowhere else that it actually could end or even, I would say, continue on except in that place of hope. Now, the reason why I'm talking about hope and not blessing, I talked about hope in week nine, is that there's two different Hebrew words for blessing. There's this word, it's called ashir, and it's used in Psalm 1 and Psalm 128, and that's why I used it in Psalm 128. But that word is used of us as a people uh, walking with God in certain ways, but that word is never used of God himself. There's another word, and this word is called berachah, and it's used in Psalm 134. 
And in Psalm 134, it describes what God does to us and in us and among us. What does God do? Peterson writes this. He enters into covenant with us. He pours out his own life for us. He shares uh, the, he shares the goodness of His Spirit, the vitality of His creation, the joys of His redemption. He empties Himself among us, and we get what He is. And this is why Israel would call God not just God. They would always call Him the God of the covenant, because God entered into relationship with His people to love them and restore them. And that is why this is about hope. It is a, that is blessing, but it is ultimately about hope. There's a lot of people today who have a lot of questions about faith and, and what faith means. There's a lot of people who think faith sounds boring, but we hopefully know that faith is so much bigger than that. We understand that the word faith, it means trust. We trust what God is doing every step in our lives. And so we understand that faith talks about our dreams and our desires and our abilities. And Peterson asked this question in the last chapter. He says, but when we get to where we are going, what then? What happens at the end of faith? What takes place when we finally arrive? Will we be disappointed? And I don't like this question. I think it's a terrible question because there will never be an end to trusting who God is. There will never be an end to faith. We will never plumb the depths of who God is. And this is why I think it is ultimately about hope because there will be no disappointment ever. I think that we will be so overwhelmed when we're in the presence of God that we're going to be like, oh my, and God says he's going to wipe away the tears from our eyes. Those are tears of joy, but also the tears of all the places that we shrank back from God's call in our life, all the places that we made him less than he truly is in our lives. What is your great hope? What do you hope for above all things? That should begin to determine how you live your life. That should determine how every single one of us looks towards where God is calling us to go and who to be. Now open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to kind of bring this to the New Testament where Paul kind of brings this idea of hope together. Uh, Romans 5 is on page 612 if you have an element Bible. You're welcome. Um, so how do we live this, this disciple life of hope that centers in hope when there are many things in our lives that are hard? A lot of these Psalms of Ascent, they will walk through these struggles and their sufferings and their trials. And yet ultimately we want to end in this idea of hope. So how do we get there? How does that work? Ultimately, it all points to the person of Jesus Christ. So how does it come together in the person of Jesus Christ? Romans chapter, three, Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3, goes like this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, that, that's an odd phrase, but that's a phrase that kind of has been used through these Psalms of Ascent. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. That's the word for disappoint. Hope doesn't disappoint us. Why? It says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, this letter to the Romans, stay in, stay in Romans 5, we're going to come back to that, okay? But this letter to the Romans was written to Jewish and Greek thinkers. Uh, Greek thinkers were very pessimistic about the world. You may have some friends like that. If you don't have any friends like that, it's probably you. You're welcome. Now, they, they would say that hardship is normal in our lives. They would say a lot of the things that Paul says in that passage, but they would never, ever use the word hope. Because the word hope for them would change everything. For Paul, it changes everything because it goes back to what they were looking for in all of these Psalms of Ascent. Hope is the way that we walk through life to whatever comes our way. And I have given you some things about trials and suffering and leading to these things throughout the Psalms of Ascent, but I'm going to give you the three of them again in bullet points so you remember them. It's my three-point summary, but it all takes place in the beginning. Then we'll wrap it up. So anyway, number one is this. Trouble and hardship reveals our character. 
We said this multiple times. Trouble and hardship reveals our character. Many of these psalms are honest about what they're going through and their hardship. The writer of Proverbs will say in Proverbs 24 verse 10, if you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? I think sometimes we falter because our hope evaporates. We are not hoping in the correct thing. And we start to ask God, what is the point of this, God? And the truth is that God is interested in our hearts. How do we respond to disappointments? How do we respond to interruptions? How do we respond when Element says, hey, maybe for a month, could you wear a mask? How do we respond to those things? How do we respond to health problems or getting criticized or being told no? Have you ever become impatient with God? Like God is not doing his God job fast enough for you. The pandemic is still going on. God, you're going way too slow in this. When we have ultimate hope in God and His providence, we can look at the multiple paths that God lays out in front of us. And instead of saying, which one's going to be easier? We could say, which one is going to teach me to love other people more? Which one of these is going to make me grow more? Because we will have hope in what God is going to do throughout these things. Disappointment, as I said, doesn't always produce growth. It can produce bitterness in a lot of people. But if we trust God in discipleship, we can live with confidence and joy and not get all focused on ourselves. And then God will use those disappointments and those trials and those sufferings to bring growth. Second thing is this. Trouble and hardship reveal the truth about the human condition. It reveals the truth about who we are. Dallas Willard once wrote, God's address is at the end of your rope. John Ortberg, who calls himself Dallas Willard for dummies, wrote this. You have a rope and it has an end. If you haven't gotten there yet, you will get there one day. I don't know why he took two sentences to explain what Dallas Willard said, but whatever. We, I believe that, that God is at the end of our rope, but I believe God is in so many more places than that. But too often it takes us getting to that point to where we surrender our lives to who he is. We are a people who want to do everything ourselves, figure it all out ourselves, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And a lot of us don't even know what that means anymore. I'll just tell you, you don't even have boots in this whole scenario. We just don't have them. Self-sufficiency, at least how we define it, is an illusion because at the end, we are not in control of anything. And all we try and do is put things around ourselves, whether it's with our job or our, or our home or our family, so that we can have this illusion that we're in control. When trouble comes, illness, loss, bankruptcy, divorce, fear, that illusion of self-sufficient control gets shattered, and that is a blessing for us. There are people in the world who look at Christians and they will say, oh, Christianity is a crutch. Oh, look at those poor weak people. I don't think it's for weak people. I think it's people who come to the end of their rope and look at their lives and say, I need to be strong enough to realize my life is not about me. And we surrender ourselves to who God is. And the third thing is this, though, and this is important, because if we are only looking for God in the places of trouble and not growing out of it, this is what the third thing is. If deliverance from trouble and hardship is all we desire God for, then when trouble disappears, our desire for God will disappear. That's very important, and this is scary. One of the most common themes in the Bible in the midst of suffering is you see these people cry out, Oh God, come. Oh God, save. Oh God, deliver. This is all through the Psalms. This is, come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Standing by night in the house of the Lord has the connotation that it's dark outside. And so we're standing in the place that is, that is light and it's secure. In, in the book of Judges, and one day I promise you I'm going to take you to the book of Judges, but you got to prepare because I'm going to make fun of a lot of people when we do. But the book of Judges is all about this. 
Things are good, they don't think about God. Things are bad, they're out, oh God, come and please save me. Things get better, they start to think about God less. They pray less often, they pray with less urgency. And that's just like us. When things are bad, we barter with God. God, you do this and I'll do that and I promise I'll be with you. But when trouble is gone, so is our heart for God. It's because our hope isn't truly in God. Our hope is in these things. I can't tell you how many people who have trouble in their marriages and they show up to churches like, yeah, we're going to worship God, this will be great. And as soon as things get better in their marriage, they stop showing up until things get really bad. Then they show up again. Or things with kids. Oh, oh, my kids, oh, it's so terrible. What am I going to do? And then they start showing up to church and they start worshiping and praying. And then things get better. Like, oh, okay. And they stop showing up. Because we are only seeking God when things are hard. And at that point, when things get better, we're not going to want to seek Him anymore. This is why Paul does this. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. That word endurance is perseverance. And endurance produces character. We start to grow closer to Him. And character produces hope. Suffering on its own doesn't produce hope. It's how it walks into each of these steps. Produce, and that's amazing. Because shouldn't we all be praying that God would bring more hardship into our lives? Oh, elements should make us wear masks for the entire year, no matter where we are. We'd love them for that. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't like that at all. But the truth is, we have a different view of hardship than God does. God sees discipleship in every circumstance of our life, and that should lead to a type of rejoicing. David Fredrickson talks about Romans chapter 5, and he points out in the ancient Greco-Roman world, philosophers would speak about this connection between suffering moving towards growth of character. Again, they would say everything Paul said except for that word hope because they didn't have that Jewish mindset. Uh, it's like a lot of atheists and naturalists today. They believe that the world is a cold, hard, impersonal place, and the glory of an individual is to take and use all of our own strength to rise above it all. In their culture, you were supposed to refuse to allow any circumstance around you to disturb your serenity and calmness. Serenity now, that kind of thing. But what do the scriptures teach? What, is, what does God say? Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Now, in the ancient world, a lot like today, they believed that you, if you had hope in something that was beyond you, you were giving up control. Hope was seen as a weakness. There are actually some ancient writers who said that hope was a moral disease. You ever hear the story of Pandora's box? Like Pandora's box is this legend where they had all the evils in the world were in the box and the box got open and all the evils went out into the world. You know what the last evil in the box was? Hope. That's what it was. Because it would cause what would be a strong individual to trust in something beyond themselves, to no longer be master of their own fate. Yet I'd like to point out that a lot of people who think they're masters of their own fate are more and more disappointed when they realize that they are not good gods in and of themselves. How the ancients thought it was very weird, but it's a lot like how we think today. Aristotle uh, would say something like this, suffering is lightened by the sympathy of a friend. So they would say, yes, you should step in. You should help people around you who are suffering. It sounds nice. Someone at some point may even be willing to sacrifice or even die for a friend. They thought that was noble. They would even write Greek tragedies, these plays about people who would die for their friends. Oh, look how noble that was. But there's something in that that goes directly to what Paul is writing about here. They said, because if you were going to suffer for somebody else, they had to be someone who was of noble character. If you're going to sacrifice, they said, the friend must be someone who is worthy, someone who deserves the sacrifice you make. Think of our modern movies like Marvel. I'm going to ruin Endgame for you if you haven't seen it. Okay, at the end of it, Tony Stark gives his life, sorry, for everybody because he deems these people as worthy. The very first Avengers movie, Greg Coulson gives his life because he deems these people as worthy. Nobody is giving their life for Thanos. 
Nobody is giving the life for Thanos' general. Nobody does that. The Greeks would say, it is not a virtue to suffer for an unvirtuous person. And even if you did help somebody, you are not also supposed to allow their suffering to disturb your tra tranquility. Now let's go back to what Paul is saying. Romans 5 verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. It's supposed to move us to be a place of people who have perseverance. And endurance produces character. We grow in our relationship with God. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because we're such good hopers? No, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Well, how did that happen? For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What? For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Paul says, we are weak, we are ungodly, and yet God comes to die for us anyway. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Well, yeah, they like that. Yes, I like stories about that. Let's watch those Marvel movies. It's, it's wonderful. Perhaps for a good person, or good one, good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, unworthy, undeserving, a total mess, Christ died for us. That's what Paul is going for. Hope does not disappoint because Jesus, as an act of complete grace, chose to give his life and die on a cross for the non-virtuous, for the ungodly, for the sinners. That's the good news of the gospel. And what you see, these people who are going up these psalms of ascent, it's about hope because they're going to worship God who is promising to come and rescue and save, but he hasn't come yet. They're looking forward to the coming of Jesus. We get to see all that God promised to do. We see all the things in the scriptures where God says, I'm going to save you not by your own merit, but by my love and my own goodness for you. And that should bring hope because all too often we fail. All too often, we are the weak, ungodly, the sinners. Peterson writes this, God gets down on his knees among us, gets on our, our level and shares himself with us. He does not reside afar off and send his diplomatic messages. He kneels among us. That posture is characteristic of God. And now, as a people who walk through steps of discipleship with God, he sends us out as his ambassadors. Who are we supposed to love? The weak, the ungodly, the sinners. That's who we are sent to. We're sent to proclaim the gospel to people who are just like us. Repentance, trust, worship, service, witness. Do you see how it goes? That we become these people. We make God's love tangible to the world. Everyone not in a relationship with God, and we just like, oh, look how messed up they are. They are messed up because they don't know who God is. Romans 5.8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Let me help you maybe understand a little bit of what's going on in our world right now, in case, in case you don't know. A couple years ago, we went through this book called Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes, the central theme is how Solomon kept running after something to fulfill his life. And every time he gets something else, it leaves him feeling less and less fulfilled. It leaves him with less and less hope. Solomon is a guy who bought it all, did it all, won it all, built it all. Everything our hearts and minds think that we could ever accomplish and dream of, he did. And he wakes up the next day and he's still him. That's our entire world. And that's why so many people are so bitter all the time. The whole book is about the morning after you got married, or you finally got a child, or that job, or that raise, or that house, or that car, 
that TV or didn't have to wear a mask anymore. It's when you got that thing and you're still you the next day. Having your dreams fulfilled, making the ascent, it doesn't necessarily make you a better person. What it does is it reveals who we are all along. And this is why these songs of ascent, the whole scriptures, are not about man's dreams for man. It's about God's vision for mankind. Have you ever wanted something so bad? And then you got it. And again, maybe it was that car, or you got married, or that spouse, or whatever. And a few days later, you're like, now what? You feel exactly the same way as you did before, because your hope was in this thing. And that thing doesn't fulfill. Um, next year, we're looking at doing this series for, for parents about LGBTQ plus issues in, in their kids' schools and the church, and how we relate the gospel to all that. And as I read more and more articles about this, there are studies that are now showing that a lot of these kids who grow up and they transition from one gender to another, you get a few years out from that, and they are really depressed. There's a high suicide rate because they thought this reassignment surgery was going to fix them. Their hope was an I am this thing, and so I will become this, and then my hope is fulfilled, and a few years later, they're still them. They're still them, and this is what Solomon does. Solomon says, he uses this phrase, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and that he looks at everything that he did with his own, everything he put his hope in apart from God, and at the end, he comes to the point where it's like, it has all fallen apart. It is all because I've been looking for the temporary instead of the eternal. And he calls the temporary vapor, that everything is just mist and vapor. But then he will say, with God, there is no vapor. There is no vapor. And that is the only way we'll ever have hope. Our creator invaded the realm of the created to give purpose and meaning to our lives again. That does not mean the creator gives us everything that we want and everything that we desire. What he gives us is what we need, which is him. And the Bible is 66 different books put together under one cover. It is not weird esoteric sayings that have no meaning to our lives. What it is, is the story of how about all these people are running after things they are hoping in. Things they think are going to fulfill them. Bring them back to all they think that they need. And yet everything still lets them down. It's how our lives without Christ devolve into meaninglessness. And the whole time we're trying to claim that it still has meaning. The scriptures keep showing us who God is. So often in the scriptures, all of our heroes of the faith that we try to make all these excuses for, they're not heroes. They're messed up people who make dumb decisions, and it's okay to call it dumb decisions because the Bible is not about lifting up perfect people. It shows us a perfect God who comes to rescue us in Christ. That's where our hope lies. If you have a Bible, I'm going to show you this great verse about hope. Open to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Guys, when when we understand our ultimate hope is not in us and having it all together, we can be honest before God. We can be honest before one another. We can be honest about the work that God is doing in our lives, even when we mess up in the midst of it. This is why in the end, it all comes down to being about hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6-9, through 9, Paul says this, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. What's the wisdom of this age? I'm going to follow myself, pull myself up on my bootstraps. I'm going to figure it all out. He says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom, wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Guys, that's hope. 
That's hope. We cannot fix ourselves. We are a complete mess, but that is not supposed to leave us in a place of despair. It's supposed to lead us to a place of feeling love that our God deemed to step into our world when we were ungodly, when we are sinners, when we are weak, to rescue and save us. Each of these psalms are ascent, are meant to bring us back to the great truth that God has stepped in to save us. And God is the only one who has the ability and power to fix this cursed and broken earth and us as a cursed and broken people. And if we ever hope to truly live a life that is full and free, it must be centered in God himself and what he brings. And unlike the Greeks, what they thought, I will tell you, hope is not for weak people. It is not for weak people. It's for people who have come to terms with who we really are. Each of these steps of ascent are make, supposed to make us come face to face with who we are. And only strong people can actually do that. We come to the realization that we are not great, but God himself is. And as we come and walk each of these steps, it's supposed to bring us to a place of understanding the nearness of God. There's an interesting thing through a lot of these Psalms of Ascent. It keeps using these words as fear God, fear God throughout the midst of them. With a nearness of God also comes this idea of, his, of, of fearing Him, of respecting Him, of walking in those ways with Him. As we grow closer to God, we have a feeling of His nearness. And most people, including Christians, don't go through life understanding how close God actually is. Do you think that God is near you in every moment when you're driving down the freeway and someone slows down, you're riding their rear end? Oh, God's with me right now. <laughs> At the Costco, between... Black Friday and the first of the year when people seem to just grow out of the concrete and there's a million people in the, and you're standing in line and someone writes a check right in front of you like, oh, God is with you in that moment. Do you understand that? It is so interesting that hope and fear go so closely together in the Bible and nobody understands why. It's because a proper fear of God knows that God is always near, always near. Not to smite us, but to love us and bring us back to himself. And that brings hope. That fear of the Lord brings hope. He is with you when you're at bed at night. He's with you when you wake up in the morning. He is with you when you get that doctor's diagnosis. He's with you when you got to wear a mask indoors. He is, he is, that's not funny. Okay, I get it. Um, <laughs> he is with you in emergencies. He is, he is with you in hardships, even the ones that you yourself have caused. To live a God-fearing life full of hope is to live in constant awareness of that presence of God because God is closer than we could ever dream. I want your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Last one, I promise, and then I'll move on out of this. Uh, Galatians 4.4. 4. Um, ultimately, our hope is in God's promises as all of Israel's hope was ultimately what God would do in Jesus when he came. They're looking forward to this. This is what Paul says, Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is what all of these Psalms were looking towards where God would remove our sin and restore us back to relationship with Him. All the sacrifices at the temple, all the celebrations, all the worship, all pointed to the coming of Jesus, which we get to celebrate at Christmas this week. Don't forget it. Is it come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. The gospel is the announcement of the good news that Jesus has come in fulfillment of all that he promises through these Psalms of Ascent, that he is the God who has come to rescue and save us. He dies in our place, but not only that, he rises from the grave. 
Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. He dies for our sin because we could not atone for our sins on our own. He does it for us. And as He rises to new life, He invites us to come into new life. And while that does bring blessing, it's about hope. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. We have hope because no matter what comes our way, Jesus has already been there and done all of it for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And yes, God is so far above us. But yet that should not leave us feeling lost. It should fill us, make us feel loved because as a father, he steps into our lives to rescue us. God is not like philosophers and sages from the Greeks. God is wholly good and gives himself to the most unworthy, which is all of us. And then he makes us worthy. It's not about walking through and feeling so bad about your life that you can't get out of bed. It's walking through with hope because God has redeemed and restored us to be his people. That's our hope. In turn, may the God of Zion bless you who made heaven and earth. And God has blessed us. God has blessed us in the person of Jesus Christ. All that the Old Testament scriptures were looking forward to comes the culmination in the person of Jesus. And all that we are looking for in our lives ultimately finds its culmination in the person of Jesus Christ. If you are running after something in your life and you don't know how to make things come together because you feel so disappointed about everything. You need to come and surrender your life to the hope of the world, who is Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite Sean to come back up. The band, singular, Sean. And I'm going to invite you this morning to take communion. And as Steve talked about last week, it is. It's not the greatest cracker. It's not the greatest grape juice. We get that but it's how we do things right now. But communion isn't about us and having the best crackers or the best grape juice. Communion is coming to a place where we remember what God has done to rescue us. Communion is a place of hope. It's a place of understanding our rescue, understanding our redemption. And if you have a hard time being a person of hope today, come to communion and remember that while we were still weak, while we were ungodly, while we're sinners, Christ died for us. While we're running away from him, while we're not cleaning ourselves up good enough for the God of the universe, Christ comes for us to bring us back to himself. That's what brings hope. So come to this place today and take communion and remember that Jesus is your and my ultimate hope. And then hopefully, we'd be a people who step outside of these walls and proclaim that to those we come into contact with, because he is so good. If you need prayer, grab Sarah at the Welcome Center. We would love to be able to pray with you if you're going through something that's difficult today, and you want to think about and understand the hope that is found in the person of Jesus. We'd love to be able to pray with you about that. Uh, we have offering boxes on the side wall, and we give because God has given so much to us in the person of Christ, so we just give. We don't pass a plate. It's always a response to what God has done. And then I would encourage you to grab those sermon notes with those daily reflections in them and pray through that and then look through the questions on the right and talk to one another, your friends, your gospel community, your family about them, and really come to the understanding of what ultimate hope being in the person of Jesus actually means. You can talk about Solomon, right, and all the things that Solomon went through, trying to fulfill his life with all this stuff and realize a lot of times that's me. I'm trying to fill my life with all these things so I feel better. But nothing in the end is going to fulfill or bring hope other than what Christ has done to bring us back to relationship with God. So let's be a people who focus our life on that hope. 
And ultimately, when it comes to Christmas morning this week, take a few moments and think about this, the hope that we are celebrating in this moment. Maybe you have hopes that you're going to get some really cool thing for Christmas, and you don't get it. That's okay. They should be like, I'm like Solomon, woe is me. It's okay. You got the greatest gift in the world. God saved you of his own volition because he loves you. So let's be a people who worship him. Let's pray. Part of this morning. We ask that as we finish these Psalms of Ascent, we would come to the place where we think about and understand where our hope ultimately comes from. That it is not from us. It is not from the things that we do. It is from what you have done. And so I ask that you would begin to change our hearts and our minds to understand that. That we would look around ourselves and see the people around us that are weak or undeserving. And we would begin to extend ourselves to them as you have extended yourself to us. That we would ultimately live our lives with the gospel as central to what we do because we understand that while we were weak and ungodly and sinners, you stepped into our lives to rescue and save us. And so as we get to the end of this journey and we, and we look at this idea of hope, teach us to be a hopeful people. That no matter what happens in this world through all the crazy stuff that's going on right now from, from COVID to politics to mass mandates, to all, that our hope would be shown in how we trust and love you. That you would be the one who changes our hearts, that resets our minds, that resets who we are all upon you. And instead of walking around feeling shameful for how we are weak or how we are ungodly or how we've sinned, we would instead set that aside for the great glory that you have placed upon us by redeeming us and bringing us back to yourself that we would be a people of joy, a people of hope, and a people of mercy, a people who walk through this life in a long obedience, in the same direction, because our strength comes not from us, but from you. Teach us to trust you as not just the hope of our lives, but the hope of the entire world. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen.